And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in as always. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review if you will, because we got a lot to get to from this past Wednesday night on Dynamite. We're taping it right after Dynamite, in fact, and it was a really fun show filled with some surprises and some head-scratching moments as well, as is kind of tradition in the sport of professional wrestling to kind of have those moments where you're kind of like, why did they make that decision? Why did they go that route? We're going to break it down and so much more all throughout this podcast. What happened with AEW Dynamite Grand Slam? And it was definitely a fun show, but also get to one of the biggest stories and headlines in pro wrestling today is the White Rabbit. What does it mean for the pro wrestling in WWE? Because it seems like there is a big name either going to return or get a repackage back to maybe a gimmick from Lucha Underground. We'll talk about that and more here on the podcast. We'll go ahead and start with AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. And I was definitely surprised at how much of a feel this show had to kind of a clash of the champions and maybe what Battle of the Belts should be instead of kind of the Dragon Ball Z filler arc type show. So we're going to start off with the ROH World Championship match with Chris Jericho and Claudio Castagnoli. This was a really fun match and really continues to speak to how much Jericho has really turned it around in the last like year. I'd say going back to the full, not full gear, excuse me, the Revolution match against Eddie Kingston, when he looked like he was in like peak condition, he's just stepped his game up in a lot of different ways. And this was a statement, to say the least, that Chris Jericho is not going anywhere. The dude has been doing this for 30 years, and he continues to put on nothing but bangers. And this was a phenomenal match. At one point, you had... And Super Frankenstein, I, I almost say it's a Super Huracan Rana, but a lot of people could debate that. Scott Steiner will always say it's a Frankensteiner, so I'll go with the Scott Steiner route there. He had that a counter out of a Super Ricola bomb, and it looked damn near flawless. So many different spots in this one. There was a great double stomp from Claudio into a sharp shooter that segues into some of the holds here were very good. You wound up having a springboard by Casignoli and Jericho countered with a code breaker in midair. At one point, Jericho tries to do a little bit of cheating by pulling the bat from underneath the ring that was in the corner, the heel corner, and it was really cool to see that. And it looked like you were going to get a big hit from Y2J onto Floyd, but nope, that was pretty much seen a mile away. I think even Stevie Wonder could have seen that coming. And he takes the bat away from him, throws it away. These two go at it. You wind up seeing a, a Ricola bomb, but Casignoli kicks out. And the match is still rolling at this point. You see a big giant swing. Crowd is loving every last second of it. But of course, after the bat's being thrown out, Aubrey Edwards gets back to the corner and Jericho lands a big low blow wins with the Judas effect to win the ROH world championship. Definitely blown away 
by what the finish was. Because it felt like on paper, everything was setting up for Castagnoli to get another big win. But at the end of the day, it's really cool to see Jericho win the title. It was kind of BS because he didn't necessarily need to win that match. It continues to be an ongoing theme to a certain extent. Going back to the feud with Eddie Kingston. Kingston won that match at Revolution, but at the same time, I think Jericho's won that feud. He's moved on. Jericho didn't need to win the barbed wire match. There was no reason that had to happen. It kind of makes this whole feud with him kind of pointless. But you have Daniel Garcia continuing to have kind of that division, that rift between him and the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society. He high-fives Jericho anyways, but you can still tell that he's not necessarily sure that he can trust Jericho, number one, and number two, that Jericho can actually get the job done without dirty tactics or other things kind of being in the way. So it's a really good story that's probably being branched out even further. Maybe even you have Jericho and Daniel Garcia square off for the ROH world title, which they would be pretty darn cool with Daniel Garcia holding both the pure and ROH world titles, especially if they want to get a TV deal going for ring of honor, which I feel like is the next direction they want to go with this. If you're AEW, then we get to swerve in our glory versus the acclaimed for the AEW world tag team championship. And this was a magical moment in history. And I want to get into a little debate with somebody about this. And I said it whenever you saw it during the review of All Out, when you saw All Out Live, it was absolutely the moment where Acclaimed showed up and officially arrived. And I felt like it was the right move to not have it be the match, you know, have the match change. And apparently, Tony Khan did consider changing the booking mid-match. It was something he thought about. But I think not steering into it really made the moment we got amazing, even more so at Grand Slam. And I'll explain why. It's mainly because of the fact that I've seen the acclaimed Russell going back to the and This is one of those true, honest-to-God success stories, starting from the bottom, and now they're here. Because literally, they were wrestling during the pandemic days, the days that nobody really wants to talk about anymore. Not just in AEW, but I think all of wrestling period wants to just completely forget that happened. But there were so many great moments and stars that kind of came out of that. Namely, Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, the acclaimed. The list can go on and on, especially when you look at AEW's roster. Because the fact they did start so early on and then like right in the middle of their peak, you have the pandemic take away a ton of money and a ton because the gates were closed. But this was absolutely perfect. Everything about this match, the way everything built up, where it felt like Swerve in Our Glory was going to do it again and kind of upset the boys that everybody was looking forward to. Because again, these are creative pro guys. These are 100% the design guys from Brian Myers Academy. These dudes have just done so well in the last year. At one point, you have Swerve hit a 450 leg drop onto the floor. I was like, what the hell happened here? And of course, they continue to tease kind of the split between 
uh, Swerve and Keith Lee, whatever you have. Swerve accidentally hitting Keith Lee with the boombox, and it's just brutal as hell. And it feels like that's going to be the finish with a big blockbuster from Bowens, but Caster slips going for the mic drop and seemingly hurts his knee. Bowens just goes ahead and tries to get the get the pin. But everything's kind of going haywire. And after Billy Billy Gunn and you know Swerve get after each other, Lee pulls his partner away, rolling away from him. And you wind up seeing an elbow from Bowens. Gunn puts hits a famous on him while the referee is distracted. And then you see the arrival followed by the mic drop to get the win and win the tag team titles. That crowd came unfreaking glued. And that is why I feel like sometimes you've just got to sit down and say, hey, let's build a chase up. And the acclaimed is a prime example of that. They put in the time for over a year. I I remember when they had some of their first matches, they were still kind of figuring themselves out. They had the yo, listen gimmick and it was corny, but it got better, especially with the live crowd. They were able to kind of read the room and more importantly, not get nearly as controversial with some of their raps. And they got better all the way around in the ring as well. And they had that moment where it's like, Oh, bleep. These are legit dudes rather than, you know, the comedy act that's going to be good, but can't quite hit that next level guys to a certain extent. I would say like Enzo and Cass in WWE, those two guys had a certain ceiling in the WWE, especially in the main roster to where they couldn't get up to champions. That's where the acclaim kind of was for a while. They were very much, you know, for lack of a better word, storyline fodder, filler arc type stuff. But now they've been built up as one of the guys and a prime example of how to really build up hometown talent. Some great stuff here. And then you get after that, FTR is interviewed backstage, kind of starting to make their claim of being the guys that are going to have a shot at the AEW tag titles because they've been number one contender since April and they like their shot now. But then you have Colton and Austin Gunn, formerly the Gun Club. Now it's kind of a whole situation where you've got them saying, FTR, you going to stop complaining, all this stuff, which is a great bit. But also it made me think, FTR, you getting tired of the ass boys just being involved and all these storylines, and honestly, FTR is going to mop them, smoke them, pack them, and all that stuff. Just job these dudes out, because that's what they are at this point. They've got potential, but I feel like they just can't quite get out of their own way, and FTR just needs to win the AW World Tag Team titles, even if it's against the acclaimed, because I really would love to see, now even if they don't win it, I think we need to see FTR win all the belts and maybe go out, go against the Young Bucks for a third time with everything on the line because tell me that wouldn't be an entertaining ass match with the highest stakes possible. That's just where I'm at. Then we get to Wheeler Utah town hall. He's starting to cut a promo with Tony Schiavone interviewing him, but just before he gets going, MGF comes out. The crowd is loving it. They're eating all this crap up. 
and he basically calls himself the a devil and calls the crowd devil worshipers and then kind of cuts a little promo on Yuta saying how he's mid, not necessarily that great in the ring and pretty much boring and calls him a generate calls himself a generational talent. The Yuta cuts a really fun promo kind of pokes fun at Max's engagement and says that his fiance is a wonderful young lady, maybe a little too smart because she's already figured out what the rest of us know that he's a worthless piece of human garbage and she's going to walk all out on him just like he did on AEW. Absolutely liked that. At the end of the segment, MGF just starts running down, talking trash about Danielson and Moxley. But the moment that was a little bit too far, even for me, I'm like, was him talking about William Regal and how William Regal was going to teach him how to pop pills. And it just immediately, he strikes Max in the face. I mean, you can just hear that punch. Freeman hit, hits him with a headbutt. That knocks Tony Schiavone over. Yuta gets a double like takedown on MGF, but W. Morrissey. At first, I thought it was Jericho for a second, but then he kind of got the, his hair out of his face. And you can tell that was W. Morrissey. He made the save, chokes him out. MGF clobbers Wheeler with the dynamite diamond ring. Security arrives. Absolutely loving this match. This match is going to be built up because I'm sure MGF's going to have his kind of gauntlet to go through before he gets to the head of the Blackpool Combat Club and Wheeler Yuta, MGF, that should be a fun one. Then they had a backstage segment promoting Diamante. I forgot she was even part of AEW, but Diamante is going to be going against Jade Cargill for the TBS title and Hip Hop Icon Trina, who, by the way, had Fabulous out there as well. Definitely the 2000s type stuff. It was mind-blowing to say the least, that they actually went full bore in this one. And apparently I'm seeing some stuff of Rampage, and holy crap, some of the stuff they're pulling out for this. And again, this is being taped on Wednesday, so I'm starting to see some spoiler photos, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Looks like they have like a Lord Tensai-looking dude. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm definitely intrigued. And I'm, oh, wait, that was Great Muda? Holy crap, Great Muda's going to be on Rampage. I'm sorry for those that were looking forward to watching it, but that's a quick spoiler. Maybe the one thing I'll talk about there. Didn't quite realize it was Muda, just definitely all in the gear and everything, so I didn't couldn't quite tell. Then we get to the All-Atlantic Championship, Orange Cassie versus Pac, and this was, like I think, a lot better than their match of Revolution was. Mind you, I've got to go re-watch that match to kind of have a real take, but you can tell that... Everybody, both these guys are giving it their all. Fantastic match, to say the least. So many cool spots here, and definitely the one of the best near falls and DDT cells I've seen in years. And it's mainly the fact you had the sat the satellite DDT, and whenever he landed, Pack he basically was almost bent over, and it was a Cool-looking sell of that DDT. Very cool spots here. Very great near falls. Orange punch gets like a 2.9 before Pack gets a hand on the bottom rope. And then while Bryce Rimsburg doesn't pay attention, he manages to hit Orange with the timekeeper's hammer and wins the match by pinfall to retain the title. And he was kind of... 
Remsburg kind of was confused as to why Orange was passed out and KO'd. But Pac was not going to say a damn thing, as he should have, because he is the heel after all in this story. Then we get to the Interim World Championship, Interim AEW Women's World Championship, excuse me. We've been talking about Interim World title for a while, but now we can talk about the Interim AEW Women's World Championship. And it was a good fatal four-way match. Yet Tony Storm retained with a crucifix pin on Dr. Britt Baker. After it looked like that Baker was going to win, I was so just going to be frustrated if that happened because why are we continually running this match with Rosa and Baker back? You kind of have run out of options at this point with that angle. But great to see Tony get the win. Britt Baker's busted open and she attacked the champ, beat her down. Jamie Hayter charges down, tries to pull her away from Storm, then locks eyes with Britt Baker and they both attack Tony together. So, that team is still together. And then we get probably the second biggest reaction of the night. Because I think the acclaimed winning, that was the reaction of the night, the pop of the night by far. All of a sudden, Soraya makes her AEW debut. The former page in WWE makes her way over to All Elite Wrestling. And my God, I popped for that like crazy. Just so damn cool. The fact you had those two involved. You had Tony Storm, Dr. Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Paige. All that stuff. Cannot wait to see what happens there. And then we get to the main event of the night. American Dragon Brian Danielson versus John Moxley. This was not as great as the first matchup at Revolution was. But it still was a phenomenal match, especially with the finish of the contest with these two just trying to lock in their big finishes, their big submission holds. So many big spots. In fact, a Death Rider on the ramp looked brutal. Yet Danielson getting to his knees, kind of getting a quick pin. But Moxley puts in the Bulldog Choke, or no, it was a sleeper hold, excuse me, puts it in. And Mox is just on top of him. And that's it. I was definitely surprised because we all know the rumor in innuendo is that he was going to take a vacation after All Out. That's why he dropped the title. Which was a weird decision. But now we get to see this match between John Moxley and MGF. That's going to be a lot of fun. I would have loved to see have seen MGF versus Danielson. But I feel like that could be saved for down the road and MGF loses it to Brian Danielson. That's kind of where I think this does indeed go because I think the story is to build towards full gear, Moxley, MGF. And then we get to see MGF win the match. Moxley gets to take some time off. Finally. Kind of get his mind right. All this stuff. And I cannot wait. To see what happens next in this story involving John Moxley. And obviously, we won't know anything anytime soon about the future of Daniel Bryan. I mean, excuse me, not Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, the Young Bucks, and Kenny. Probably, I'd say, once we get into mid October, 
I think we'll know more about the status of all those guys. A steel, I think he's still going. We don't know the whole story yet. Keyword is yet. But we need to get to the other big story in pro wrestling, and it's without a doubt the rumors and as well as the promotion. And I give WWE all kinds of grief, and I have been for a while, for some of the stuff they've done. But what they did with this broadcast, what they did with this particular show, was nothing short of spectacular. Spectacular. And you know why it was spectacular? Because they have done a good job marketing it and building it. And it's been more or less low-key. You hadn't really heard much about it. You started to see stuff behind the scenes. And we're starting to condition superstars or wrestling fans, excuse me, to pay attention. To start just simply paying attention to what's going on backstage to get an idea of what's happened. They did a great job building that part of the story up, at least in my opinion. You fast forward to what we've seen in WWE just the last few days, going back to last Friday night on SmackDown. Now again, it's all depending on what kind of perspective you have. So during a commercial break, you have White Rabbit, one of the more iconic Jefferson Starship, no, excuse me, Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship. They're kind of the same thing, but not really. If you know your history of rock and roll, I feel like I was going to get some heat if I didn't say correctly and it was Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Starship was a little bit later on down the road when they kind of changed it up a little bit after that. It's very, 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 very confusing but you know, it is what it is. But it was one of their more iconic songs. I would say Somebody to Love is one of the other tracks that everybody consistently talks about and but this was a song and it was a I love the fact that people actually brought this up was that this was a definitive kind of track for that group and it was a like acoustic version where it was just the vocals and you get to see this during the commercial breaks and they would play that in the arena and then you have the red light just before they come back from commercial break and they would see it and you're like, what the hell? This is awesome. And they did it at the house shows over the weekend as well. And they've been doing some glitches in between Raw and SmackDown, all this stuff to kind of build towards something. But then you have the one of the coolest damn things I've seen used for a QR code in a long time. Is all of a sudden you have a QR code whenever Austin Theory is getting ready for his match against Kevin Owens. And there's one where it says, come with me. And that actually leads to a website called WWE.com slash come with me. And I'm going to mute the site real quick because I'll play it and just kind of walk you through it. If you haven't seen it already, it's basically a video saying feed your head. And it says who killed the world. And it's a game of hangman and spoilers. It's you did. 
is the end of that. And you kind of wonder, what does that mean? And it, all signs, again, to me, point that we are getting the Fiend back. It's about damn time we finally get the man, the myth, the legend that is the Fiend Bray Wyatt. Don't get me wrong. It'd be cool to see them go back and call back to the old WWE, excuse me, Lucha Underground gimmick for one Karrion Cross, but I feel like he's, his gimmick is great right now. But they've teased it, and it looks like this Friday night at 8.23 Central Time, 9.23 Eastern, he's going to make his debut based off of everything. Again, WWE, when they do these kind of gimmicks, case in point, the Save Us Y2J, it's gotten, I can remember back when that happened, actually, because this was like 2007 and very much primordial wrestling YouTube. I'm talking there was no world culture. There was no cultaholic. There was definitely no live streaming because computers and internet services couldn't do that that well back in the day. But I remember seeing a lot of videos of breaking down every single frame of those Save Us videos when they'd be put up on WWE.com. And you could just tell for weeks. That's what it was. It became pretty blatantly clear, especially during the last one before they revealed it after Survivor Series, which was a all-timer kind of segment. On a Raw that I don't think many people remember, but that's something that WWE loves to do. it To make it simple for people to basically understand and get where it's going to land on the scorebook. And people know who's going to debut and win. Or who's going to return. And I think The Fiend returning would be massive. And honestly, I had a co-worker mention to me jokingly, yeah, Dexter Loomis basically be one of the people from Firefly Funhouse. And honestly, I hate that idea. We just need to see Bray Wyatt. No Wyatt family, no nothing. Just have the fiend go out there and murder some people in kayfabe. Tell me that wouldn't be interesting to watch and see him just beat the crap out of everybody. And then we get to the end of the road and it's Bray Wyatt, the fiend finally getting his win back over Roman Reigns and taking the titles from him and giving him the full control. At least that's, Kind of how I'm thinking of it in my mind. Could be completely off base here, but that's where I stand right here right now. I'm hoping that this Friday night we do indeed see The Fiend make his long-awaited return to pro wrestling. That would be massive and a massive step in the right direction for WWE, who's been making all the right moves like it's a Tom Cruise movie in the 80s. So get ready. It's going to be a fun ride. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever. Go ahead and subscribe. And more importantly, leave us a five-star review. And if you write one, we'll go ahead and mention you on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the Google Pod. No, Spotify has Google. Google Podcast doesn't have the star ratings. I'm sorry, but a five-star rating on either Apple or Spotify. Appreciate you listening in. 
enjoy the wrestling. Don't be a jerk. Let's get it out of here.